Hello, everybody. Howdy. People. Gonna start, Hi. Gonna start throwing out those uh, bingo card slots early. <laughs> I have a feeling today's episode is gonna be a flipping hammer of a show. What, what, what's my bingo card word? Um, I have a lot for you two. I don't know if I have one. Enunciation. Nuance. Oh, lots, lots of, lots of dash nuance. There is some nuance uh, within Zach's vocabulary, or just the word nuance. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I agree. Okay, there's more. We'll point them out during All right, yeah, the show in real time. Point them out because uh, I don't. I don't want to be negative. Should be on there. Damn it! I know. <laughs> I honestly was thinking about a question on the way over here for our our guests. Guests. Yeah, and. Plural. I was trying to figure out how to frame it without saying in the beginning, not trying to be negative. <laughs> and then JB thinks, or even often says, anybody that ever leads with that statement <laughs> it's is, in fact, being negative. <laughs> Which is like, I don't mean to offend you. But I can see his wheels spinning. I don't, I don't say mean that. to offend you, but I'm going I'm to. I'm about to. Um, be prepared. <laughs> I'm warning you. Okay, I'm writing it. Nuance. Nuance. Get that on there. Um... So we're back. We got another episode today. Um, we a couple things that I just want to mention out of the gate. Uh, just to thank you, <clears throat> you guys continue to support the show, listen to the show, share the show. Um, we're getting uh, more messages on all those socials. Um, pretty easy to find us anymore. I even tested it. Just Google Soccer Dad Pod. It pops up everywhere. So if you can't understand what we're spelling or where we tell you to go, just go to Google. What do the images look like when you Google Soccer Dad Pod? Uh, my feet from that photo. Oh. I know. Pretty awesome. I'm glad it went with. Yeah. No, it's good. I, uh, Jared's Jared's uh, 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 the hat backwards, the photo I took. Oh, the STP airplane. Hat. We've also taken some pictures yeah. of these shows and, um, and our guests uh, immediately after the recording of said show. And uh, the pictures that I am in, I, I look good. You do. you do. The back of your head with a hat on is <laughs> incredible. My, that's my favorite one of Jared. Yeah, in fact, I mean, it's frameable. We might get stickers made of the back of his head <laughs> with a hat on. Um, Word. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for listening. Um, you know, again, nobody's sending us money. So just send an episode to a friend. That's the easiest way you can help us keep these stories coming. Um, speaking of stories coming, the one that we just had on, uh, which would be two episodes back, Mike Sorber. Wow. Um, on the way here, I think you were, how, how many times have you listened to it already, Jared? Uh, one and a half. <clears throat> one and a half. Uh, first time through, how would you rate it? Um, I, I liked his, his gait. I liked what he talked about. Um, I, I guess you point blank asked me how would I rate it. I would rate it um, um, informative, good. I liked it. Um, I, it. It's amazing with the guy with that um, resume. He says all the same things that we a lot of these guys have been doing. Um, but he specifically really gets outside of the box when he gets to the definition of it, when he gets to the development side of things. And you can tell he's been in different circles than our average listener, our average guest. Oh, yeah. 
I actually felt intimidated to a degree. And we've had a lot of folks on that have a lot of, of history and, and just phenomenal track records and backgrounds and resumes. But when he talked about what it takes to be a player in the MLS or in any pro league at, at this stage of the game, and he kind of highlighted everything that it takes, that was money. And hearing him kind of question our, because we were like, we would come back at him with a couple things and he would challenge us. We asked dumb questions. Yeah. And he gave us professional answers and we all felt smarter yet stupid in the process. I felt like I learned something (laughs) for sure. And, and, and this is weird, but listening back to it and I thought it when we were sitting next to him, does he not have almost like a New York axe? There's something in his tenor or didn't I, I think I said something to you, Jared. Um, it was almost a eerie replay cadence, even tone of Pat Noonan. If you if you go back yep. and listen to yep. the Noonan episode, yeah, I agree with that. <clears throat> and I don't know if it's like taught at U.S. Soccer, but they answer <laughs> in, the, in a very straight line, um, and they're not they're not there to mess around. They're not there to speculate. They they speak to what they see, and it was it was just really incredible. And then you add in. All of the St. Louis references, his dad at Flow Valley, <clears throat> those pickup games, all the, you know, playing up whenever he's a young teenager with all the college and, you know. And we the, got to the, meet his the, dad later on. Yeah, yeah, at the game uh, Thursday night when it was 132 degrees. Yeah, I wish we would have, um, and not to beat that episode up to death, I, I am still fascinated with his career in Mexico in that first division. And I, if I had any kind of regret, I would like to, or maybe even off mic, if I ever get to see him again, I would like to learn more of the stories and that time frame of his life in that league because that's just highly interesting to me. Yeah, I agree. So there, there was that one. That that one really stands out um, recently because it is one of those things that it's you know we're, we're privileged to be here in this particular market because there are a lot of names oh, yeah. that have amazing stories. His just kind of percolate to the top a little bit um, just because of the breadth, you know, and the success. So go check it out. Really good one um, across the board. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Catch up on a few things. Uh, we are, we're back in the throes of it's, it's, it's season time. The boys started training today, today for the yeah. fall. Um, Summer's wrapped up. I wanted, I wanted, I've talked to both of you individually. Um, me and Beckett headed out to Akron um, Friday, this past Friday, and we did the two day camp out there. And a couple of things I wanted to just bring up on the show, just, you know, because it was, it was really, really enlightening. Uh, great experience for him. Great experience for me, really. Um, just, ID camps, because we talked to so many coaches, we talked to so many uh, club, uh, relevant club directors, trainers, etc. And there's a lot of parents that listen to the show and they're always wondering, what do I do? What is the process? What's the best? um, What's the secret sauce or what's the, you know, do I put my son or daughter in this club, in this level, and do I do camps, what kind of camps? And when it comes to ID camps in particular, 
uh, one of the things for me going there with with Beckett was, it's not that you're going to walk away from a camp like that, any kid, with, here, sign on the bottom line. What you're really doing is you're exposing the kid to the environment and allowing them the opportunity to really start to chew on what would it mean if you did play college soccer, um, if you did and were responsible for that scholarship or partial or whatever it is. And then, you know, we were lucky enough, uh, you know, Jared is a, is a friend. Um, ha- there was a point where there was a meeting, a family meeting with the kids sitting there with us. And it was 40 minutes of, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how this works. I'm going to tell you what I look for. I'm going to tell you what we expect, you know, in reciprocity and, you know, with the transfer portal, all this stuff. It was phenomenal. It really... In spite of the fact that I've heard a lot of these things individually, it was such a good experience because even Beckett was like, okay, now I get it. Now I, under- I understand better what it might look like. So I just wanted to throw that out that, there. That, that's, that's informative too. Uh, kudos to Jared and his staff. A um, little bit early um, for, for Drew, I, yeah. I think specifically for me, to really be involved in those. Uh, I hope that he potentially um, has the opportunity to be involved in those. But when I say kudos to Jared and his staff is, I think uh, other than the play, other than the facility, other than you know uh, being around other like-minded individuals for Beckham and that experience, that forty-minute sit-down chat is, is is it's invaluable. It's invaluable, and that's cool. really that's really cool. And I'm not sure that all well, of them do it, they but don't. but if he does that, no, good for him. And here, one of the things that he talked about, and we've talked about <clears throat> ad nauseum on the show, was he specifically brought up playing style hmm. and what kids should look for. Um, told a story about a friend who has a kid who technically wasn't good enough and and really didn't fit for what Akron wanted. Uh, but he was looking for other places and he was going to help him out. And on the side, they made the decision to go to another university. And Jared was basically like, I don't get it. You know, did have you watched them play? You know, because <laughs> you play X style, they play Y times five. You know, did you talk about that? And, and uh, he mentioned that the coach was like, oh, well, when you come here, we're, we're, we're going to build a program around you. We're going to make these changes. And he was brutally honest. And he's like, look, no coach is ever going to change their style for a single kid coming into a program. He goes, it's not going to happen. Moral of the story was there's so much more to the process and determining what is a good fit beyond who's going to give you money and what position and all these other things. It's just go go to camps. Go to- yeah, and we had you – know, Grady went to the SLU camp uh, the week prior to Beckett. The experience was a little different, a little more hands-off from the parent perspective. We were basically what I'm used to now <laughs> with City, which is <laughs> drop off, drop them you. off, and we'll see you when when they're done. And you know, for Grady, I think it was really important for him to play against men, yeah, guys that are 18 years old going into their senior year of high school. Most of these guys are top of their class, you know, for their their different clubs. We had representation from Sporting KC, Chicago Fire, uh, uh, DC or uh, Midwest United up in Michigan. There were kids from Baltimore, Maryland, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. It was a great environment. So we didn't get the the parent talk that Jared gave, but 
it was certainly enlightening for Grady to feel what it's like to to compete at a higher level. You know, not a higher level necessarily, but with with kids yep. that were at his level, but bigger and stronger and faster. Yeah, I. <clears throat> in summary, what I want to throw out there, and you guys just chime in if you think I'm off base here, but <clears throat> if your kid likes slash loves slash pretends to love the game, just get them out there. Okay. Get them out to the camps. Take take them on the road. Give them the experiences. Through all of that, they'll learn um, because there's just so many amazing options. Anyway, not it, you don't you don't need to drive eight hours like I did. No, and but you the, can go right here in the backyard. The thing to look but, for, and I'm going to end on this on this particular topic is understand, and and they, they usually publicize this, but understand is it just that school that has their coaches watching you? Or, yeah. in the case of SLU, IU, Missouri State, other camps, they have multiple coaches from different schools yep. in attendance doing recruiting and scouting. So know that. Know I how many kids. A, I think there's a fine line in these things, and it's an age group specific. Um, and both of you guys don't fall into this boat, I, I don't believe, and I'm hesitant for, for our situation, is I think there's a fine line of paying money and forcing the issue and not getting anything out of it. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, um, and yeah. so, like, for me, I, I, I don't know what's going to be the, the future holds. Um, because of the format and the league that they play in, they are getting eyes. And, and I think maybe more so for me is that if and when he gets eyes and people show interest, that's when I think I will tend to send them to those camps. And, and maybe my approach is just flat out wrong. Well, the one thing you need to remember is, you know, yes, uh, our two sons in particular are going to be freshmen. <clears throat> Grady's going to be a sophomore. Well, what's, you know, drop, drop date, which they can make phone calls. June 15th going into junior year so if you really look at the calendar a kid coming into a freshman year that's two years of a window before the conversation starts now a lot of things can change you know you just that's when they can talk right so it is what it is i i i think i'm gonna go back to my summary and just say if your kid loves the game find ways to just get them out there as much as possible um there's tremendous options everywhere so this shifts us into Thanking the people that support us. That's right. Pinnacle point time. Pinnacle point time. And uh, Crescent Plumbing Supply again. I had somebody ask me the other day. They're like, Crescent Plumbing. Yeah, yeah I, I know them. Where have I heard that? And I'm like, you listen to our show. And they're like, that's it. So it's <laughs> so apparently th this subliminal messaging is working. But I do want to get into uh, Bill and Chris, <clears throat> again, over at Pinnacle Loan Group, supporting the show. Um, quick reminder, shoot us an email. Yep. SoccerDadPod at GaslightSTL.com. Tell us which episode you uh, is your favorite and why. And here in the next week uh, or so, we are going to be... By the 10th. By the 10th, we are going to be drawing one of those emails, and you're going to get four tickets to the Austin FC game. So in our next that. episode, I'm going to read a couple, I think. Perfect. Can um, I... Can, am I in the running? If I, I, I mean, if I send an email? Uh, no. no. Okay. Uh, Short answer. Can I go? Can I go first? <laughs> Pinnacle point of the day, Zach. You're first. First of all, before we get into the point, we're not in a normal place today. No, we're in my pizza heaven. We are at JJ Twigs in Valley Park, the Correct. original. We're sharing a double decker 
pepperoni and sausage and yep. uh, a pepperoni jalapeno thin crust. Light jalapeno Light for on Mr. Jalapeno. Heartburn like two or three there. Per, per square. But <laughs> my point is something you, you brought up, alluded to earlier, JB, which is where did the summer go? Holy crap. It's August, not even August yet, technically, when we're <clears> recording <throat> this. And the boys are back in training. My, my wife, Mandy, is back at school. Life is Ansley's going to school in a couple weeks, and it just feels like as we get, as we get older, life I believe is actually picking up. While your body moves slower, the calendar <laughs> is moving faster. True, it's kind of like this weird uh, punishment. I'm, I'm kind of stepping yeah. in what you're smelling there. Um, so that's my. I, point. I would agree with that. My my pinnacle point too, which um, I thought you were going down this road. Double-decker Chicago-style pizza or <laughs> thin-crust pizza? You got to go with the double-decker over here because this is not a Chicago-style. Double-decker pizza versus Luminati's or Gino's. Yeah, just totally imagine. Totally different. What they do here is almost, and I'm speculating after eating probably 75 of them in my life, is thin crust laid down with cheese and a little bit of sauce on it. Then another thin crust laid on that yep. with normal sauce toppings cheese. Yep. And then the edges are just rolled up, so it's a it's Whereas, really dipping stick. Yeah, the Chicago style is cornmeal, super cornmeal, yeah. all the, on the bottom, and then the crust itself is like a quarter inch thick on the bottom. Yeah, that's why I call it a casserole. Oh, it's so good though. Toppings, I love that too. Pen, I, pen, thin, 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 thin crust for me. Thin yeah. crust for me. That's fine. I'm, I'm that's fine. okay. Yeah, that's fine. I don't hate you for it. It's free world. Right. I it's like free crust. world. I just right. I'm not gonna order thin crust at JJ Twigs. Why? Because, because they have a double decker. Better. What if you like thin crust better? Then you're mm, choosing poorly. Else, okay. All right. Uh, no, their thin crust is really good too. Pinnacle point three of the day coming from yours truly is really a uh, pinnacle point pet peeve after driving 16 hours between Friday and yesterday. I believe that interstate road laws should be completely overhauled so that all of the people that pay your bills, Jared, that you send out there, they should never be allowed in the left lane. They should, governors sh should be capped at 60, keep them on the right. I don't think I've ever had a worse road trip than this past one. And Ohio in particular. Ohio has this little stretch, stretch between uh, Dayton and Columbus and north of Columbus, and it's three, three lanes wide for a long, long ways. Is it on 71? Yes. That's where the sign is for um, Hell is Real, for the, the rivalry between Cincinnati. Well, the reason why Hell is Real on 71 is because all those dumb shits are in the left lane the whole time. And then all of the, 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 <laughs> the, the blue mirror hangers are in the middle lane. And nobody's in the right lane at all. Yeah, so I weird. lived in the right lane. Well, you saw yellow might go bankrupt. Do you see that, Jared? It is. For the uh, I mean, time? Yeah, I, how many times yeah, have they changed I, hands and names? And I mean, I'm over it. Yeah, okay. so, yeah. Go bankrupt. It helps me in my business. I mean, right. we <laughs> need good. less guys P on the road. Pinnacle, pinnacle point, pet peeve is I hate driving on the interstate and everybody is subpar drivers. Yeah. Well, I, let, listen, moving away from the logistics and transportation, I'm excited about today. I'm excited about this discussion that we're about to have. As we're eating double duckers and cold yeah, yellow beers. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. It's definitely going to be fun. Jared, um, you are going to have one of these um, 
double deckers, right? Yeah, I, I think I'll try it. <laughs> and I may. Um, I'll try one of the, the thins again. You know, that's good stuff. Oh, you're gonna try thin cut thin crust pizza one of in their, St. Louis. One of theirs. I've had. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we're gonna roll out with uh, another song from Akron, Ohio's finest, the Black Keys. Oh. And when we come back, we're gonna have a couple guests, a number of guests actually. That are going to give us decades of stories from uh, the game we love, from the high schools that many of you listeners have actually been to, went to, played against, whole nine yards. Lost to. Lost to. Yeah, that definitely is on the list. Uh, Boys, we're going to grab a slice of pie, refill, and then we'll be back with our guests. See ya. Crescent Plumbing Supply helps save marriages. Really, as families grow, kitchen and bath needs change rapidly. Designing and choosing the right fixtures takes way more skill than just scrolling Pinterest. Staying on budget and avoiding those foreign language order sheets, that's not easy. Lucky for you, the local team at Crescent Plumbing Supply, they are experts. They can help you ditch the baby's tub for a teenage shower and upsize that kitchen sink for all those tumblers, rosé glasses, and sports water bottles. So, when you're ready for that kitchen or bath makeover, go to crescentsupply.com. That's crescentsupply.com. It's cheaper than a therapist. Yo, Jared here. Remember the pool pandemic of 2021? I was infected. I needed my own oversized oasis in Winslow. I needed a simple solution to pay for it. So I reached out to my favorite undefeated CBC freshman standouts, Bill and Chris, at The Pinnacle Loans. Long story short, I have my pool. It's a flipping hammer. The loan process with those guys was so simple. Even I did it. Now, every time I get in my pool to drink ice cold beer, I can thank the team over at ThePinnacleLoans.com. That's ThePinnacleLoans.com. 20 and 0 as freshmen? Really? Okay, we're back, people. Jared, how you doing? Excellent. Yeah. I am. Um, I'm interested in today's conversation, and we just had some <laughs> delicious double decker pizza. I'm gonna have. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna have to call in a Red Bull substitute here. I just ate a couple of slices of double decker here. <laughs> Compliments of guest number two, if I'm counting left or right here. Uh, Zach, how about you? You feeling pretty good after that little break? Yeah, I had to take a little nap <laughs> during the break, but uh, I think it was good. I think he might have done that on purpose. I'm going to slow these guys down. <laughs> the heartburn hasn't set in yet. <laughs> no. Well, we, we're it's back. Um, <laughs> today's show is going to be all high school all the time. Uh, we've got three guests with us. First time we've had three guests. It's true. Um we're going to get into a little bit of the uh, where they come from, what's their favorite pizza, right? <laughs> favorite flavored beer, and better be cold and yellow. Uh, we'll go that route. Uh, without further ado, I'm just going to introduce our guest today, and we're going get, to get this thing rolling. I've got dialed in um, the Coach Mickler, Terry Mickler from CBC. Terry, how you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing fine. Thanks, thanks, boys. Appreciate you finding a way to have me on. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And in the middle, we've got uh, Coach Greg Keller from St. Dom. 
St. Dominic High School. Uh, yeah. uh, it's the most beautiful place you've ever seen. <laughs> According to Jared Bertrand. <laughs> Where'd you go to school, Jared? Just curious. Uh, St. Joe's in Cottleville for grade school. Oh, yeah. And then I went to <laughs> Missouri State for college. Is there a feeder school in between? Yeah, St. Dominic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Might have heard of it. Yeah. And rounding it out, uh, the, the oh-so-gracious host of the day, we have Coach Gavain Vader, as he's formerly known to the majority of his players and, and, and fearful opponents, uh, from the Chaminade. How are you guys doing today? Everything's good. Well, that's a good start. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead and get a little closer to the mic, though. We're going to keep this going here. Um, we've been kind of uh, – actually, this, this, this particular episode was really uh, brainchild of Coach Mickler after we had him on um, – Jeez, oh. That was in the fall or winter. Yeah, yeah, it's been some. It's been some time. Quite a while back, and he's continued to listen. And you know, we've we've been lucky to have a lot of guests on that have talked about a lot of uh, you know the stories that we all love from the people that we've all watched to other coaches similar to yourselves that have had you know similar types of successes. And you know, he he had the brainchild like, hey, let's let's get a little bit of a roundtable here and keep these stories going so thank you for first off thank you for joining us thanks for having us well let's let's just do this because uh coach mickler we've we've had you on and we've talked about you uh repeatedly in the past what i'd like to do let's start let's start with saint dom coach keller sure um let, just let's let's set the table a little bit give a little bit of the x's and o's for the for our listeners uh who who are might not be familiar with your program which i can't believe they're not familiar given Jared's, you know, cheerleading status, <laughs> but, uh, but get, you know, give us the quick, uh, 10,000 foot view, you know, how, how many years you've been there, how'd you land there? And, you know, tell us a little bit about the program today. Sure. Um, before I landed at St. Dominic, I started uh, high school coaching at Francis Howell North. Um, I was there six years as an assistant to a varsity and, uh, I landed at St. Dom, um, in 2001, um, right after the girls won their first uh, state championship, and uh, I gave myself three to four years to uh, change the culture of the program, and uh, it turned out that uh, we had a, a, a guy um, that everybody's familiar with, a player named Tim Ream, walked through the door as a freshman. Hmm. Um, how, how do you and, spell that? Yeah. Uh, but by 2004, we won our first state championship, and uh, Tim was a, a, a junior at the time. And uh, and that core group was uh, something special. Uh, so I've been there 20, going on 22 years now. And, wow. I uh, can't believe it's that long. Well, I just, when, I, I first, when I first arrived, uh, I think at that point, St. Dominic was just playing Chaminade and uh, SLU High, I do believe. And we were playing a lot of teams out west, going towards Sedalia, Moberly, wow. uh, Fulton. Yeah. Um, a lot of teams that, uh, you know, uh, Jared, you probably played against. Uh, and I decided we need to go back across the river to uh, really play the top team. So we, we put together um, a schedule. It took me a couple of years to get the whole MCC squad uh, put on the schedule. And from there on, uh, we just grown. Uh, our school became the largest in the archdiocese at that point, mm -hmm. um, just a few years ago. And uh, 
and now uh, because of all things new if you guys haven't heard uh we're kind of going into the more separate uh private route so yeah it's going to be an exciting uh future that we have so so quick numbers um uh first year was oh Oh one. Oh one. Yeah. Were you on both sides, girls and boys program? I came you know? in. Yes, I came in actually uh, for varsity boys, and then I took because I was a JV coach at girls at Howell North, mm-hmm. and I never coached at the freshman level. And my my children, I have four kids at the time. I wanted to uh, drop down to see and challenge myself as a coach. So I took freshman level. Plus, I was getting home early. <laughs> because those are only our games. Yeah, and uh, and I took that to uh, test myself to see if I would be prepared. And then a couple years later, the uh, the girls opened up. I do believe in 2006, if my memory serves me correct. Who was the men's coach when you took over in 01? Um, before me was um, Herman. I do believe was it Herman, and he was just a brief stint, be- brief year. Yes. Yeah, brief year because Fitzler was right before him. Yes, and Dave. You know, Dave, uh, actually, he's an SIU guy. He played with my brother, Hadley, at, at, back in uh, when SIU came in second in the NCAAs. Um, but, yeah, he was still present, still, you know, okay. active, but not he, he coached freshman for when I started. Okay. Yes. So, so then last question, numbers-based, <clears throat> uh, total titles. Since 01, you've got quite the resume. How many women's titles? How many men's titles? I have seven uh, girls' titles and, and five boys. And were, were how many of those were at the when before they bumped you up into the larger school? Um, so well, we won twice in a row for girls. Right, just the last uh, before last year, um, we won the first two years. We were bumped up into class okay. four. Nice. And for boys, we were been to the final four twice in okay. three years. Okay, great. All right. Well, now we're going to go a little bit to to my right, uh, Vader. Uh, first off, nickname clearly. Who gave it to you, and was it why was it somebody that loved George Lucas? No, it wasn't that. It was, uh, <laughs> we were over in Scotland with Scott Gallagher at the time. Uh, they took a trip over there every year mm-hmm. and uh, took a bunch of us over there to play. And uh, I was on that trip. Yep, Kel nice. was on it. Silly Space Invader game <laughs> came out and. Uh, Started playing it quite a bit, and guys like Malloy and Bornoff. Is that Flair. the tabletop one? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. I love that one. <laughs> Started playing it quite a bit in our free time over there, and then it stuck. Really? Oh, yeah, that was in 78. Were you the – you were the, so clearly you were just – you were whooping everybody? I was pretty good. I can't stand playing the game now. Were, were you, but, ta- <laughs> you were taking everybody's dimes, right? I was thinking, yeah, it was about a dime to stick in there over in Scotland. <laughs> in Danoon, Scotland of all places, right? But uh, That's awesome. That's how I got it, kind of got hooked up with Scott Gallagher back then, uh, Dan Gaffney and mm-hmm. uh, the Columns and Tommy Howe and uh, Tim Rooney. They were all – Involved, you know, and uh, he was one of the few South guys we let uh, we let in. Yeah, it was a good thing they let a South guy in because we yeah. we won the first national championship in '81. <laughs> there, there's, <laughs> there's this thing called common denominator, yeah. right? Evidence. Five, five South and the rest North. But I told them the South rescued you guys because uh, we got our first national championship. Kept it going. <laughs> so, so you you uh, you were you were a Gallagher guy. We, we we just talked about playing on those teams. Um, you grew up on the South Side. Um, you ended up going to SIUE, correct? Correct. Played um, at SIU for four years and then uh, 
Coach Kelker got me a job, unbeknownst to me, until uh, towards the end of the school year, they needed a soccer coach at a small Division three school in Michigan called Alma, okay. Alma College. And uh, Coach called me in his office, said, I got a job for you. And I was like, okay, great. He said, you're going to Michigan. I'm friends, I'm friends with the president at Alma, and they need a soccer coach, and you're there the you guy. Go. So I went up there for two years, 85 and 86, yeah. and then uh, helped uh, me and Dale Shilley were Ed Honecky's assistant at SIU in 87, and then I got a God, call. what from, a small world. Man. Got a call from Chaminade in uh, March of 88, and they needed a uh, PE teacher and a soccer coach, and uh, I knew the pr- the principal at the time was a teacher of mine at St. Mary's. Okay. Yeah. He got in touch with me and called me in and said, "Sign here, you're our new PE teacher and varsity soccer coach." All right. That was basically my interview. And so, you're going to get into the high school years. I want you to also timeline um, your impressive time at the Jamie Marine Girls Club uh, through the start of that. Uh, in you know sequence with your your high school career because that's relevant to, to today's show. Sure. Yeah, I started at school at Chaminade in the fall of '88 as PE teacher and varsity soccer coach, and uh, got involved with JB and uh, George Foster and Bill Lobb asked me uh, to, to help coach the girls program. Okay. Uh, George Foster ran the Jefferson Barracks Marine and Barge Service, and that's where the name comes from, and. Uh, John and Ursula Kittner had asked me to help them guys with the White Star team, and then we kind of came together with JB. And what uh, what years are we talking about? 1990, here? 91. <clears throat> okay. uh, the girls won in 91 under 19, and then we lost in the finals the next year to a team from Texas. Uh, the Longhorns beat us. Yeah, the Longhorns. That's our, a good club. Yeah, oh, it was a great club. That's a great club. Uh, I remember absolutely. playing them. Uh, Drop some of the names of these girls that you had on these Jamie Marine teams. That's very important for the story here. Yeah, back back in those days, we had uh, you know Jackie Billet, Amy Friedrich uh, from Rosary, Jackie from uh, uh, Oakville, uh, Amy Spinks from Oakville, Sally Meek from Incarnate Word, Michelle McCarthy, who went on to play at Notre Dame. Yeah, the who's who. Yeah, yeah, we had Melissa Kittner, SMU. You yeah, know, I mean we were loaded with great talent and. Uh, so we got to the finals twice, and then at 77 team were girls like uh, Sarah Burkett, Emily Stevens, Tori Dolan, Laurie Melching was our goalkeeper, uh, Lindsey Rector, who's coaching now and uh, coaching youth girls, and uh, we had some great teams. Well, we, th- those girls, Tracy Gross, who unfortunately passed away, uh, we had some great players. And, you absolutely uh, did. It's pretty easy to coach good players, man. I'm and you're still you. and, coaching and, girls, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm coaching over at Summit. And then, then right. the Lori Kalupny years came. Yeah. And Becky Sauerbrunn years yep. came. And I think yeah. our listeners know who those girls yeah, are. Yeah, I hope so. You know, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be involved with, with Lori, you know, on, on the teams that I coached. And I helped Tim Bull and Jen Bull. Mm-hmm. Uh, they coached Becky's team pretty much all the way up the ladder. And I helped those guys out when yep. I could. And so I had, was really fortunate to be around some great female players as well as male players. So then over that same time frame, back to Chaminade, it sounds as if my math's right, you're approaching roughly 33, 34 years. This will be 36. I'm trying to, 36 catch, trying to catch up with Coach <clears throat> Mickler, man, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get that 50-plus uh, plateau, brother. I mean, it's, uh, we start Monday, a week from today. 
Thir- uh, is when we start practice wow. on the seventh. So it's uh, right around the corner. So thirty six years. Your we'll get to this in a little bit, but the the pedigree of players, the names of the players that have worn your jersey is is a phenomenal. Uh, state titles. Let's again just kind of frame a reference. How many? How yeah. many? We got we've we've won three. We've lost a few. We've lost unfortunately mm-hmm. a couple more than we won. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've had some unbelievable players come through the program back uh, early '90s, and uh, when Tom Holmes coached his Bush team, there were five or six guys that came from that team to Chaminade, and that kind of got the ball rolling. Yeah. Tommy Holmes himself, mm-hmm. his son Tommy, uh, Timmy Sartori, mm-hmm. Mike Sabo, Timmy Sartori, who's my assistant now and had the guidance department at Chaminade. Yep. Um, Matt Capen, Michelson, the Zobris boys. Mm-hmm. So we kind of started rolling, and then all of a sudden, uh, Thibodeau, Hilson, Brad Davis walked through the doors, you know, and that yeah. uh, we didn't win those years. We got to the final a couple times. We got beat by a pretty good Rockers team, but then uh, but then Hoff, Coleco, Robesons came through the doors. Wow. Uh, Madison, Hensey. Yeah, uh, Mo Benny. Uh, yeah, the, the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, uh, Mickler might have an argument here, M- Coach Mickler, <laughs> but the proverbial yeah, who's who um, of uh, of a lot of successful players in that in that in that time frame for sure. Yeah, we really fortunate to have those guys come through and do the things they did out at school and. They got the ball rolling for us, yeah. and uh, we're still pretty competitive. So, Coach Mickler, we're going we're to shift it to you. Um, kind of the same thing. Most, again, the, the majority of our listeners are familiar with you, your program, and have probably caught the episode earlier. But just kind of like as a refresher, um, you know, Vader just alluded to your tenure. Uh, just remind people, you know, when, when you landed at CBC, you know, how many years you're approaching – and talk a little bit about uh, your trophy case, if you don't mind. Well, first I want to talk about the guys you got sitting with you in the meeting there and how both of them improved their respective programs night and day. I mean, they were both competitive programs, but they weren't on the verge of winning. And when Greg and uh, Bader took over, they up the ante. All those names you just read off. I'm breaking out in a cold sweat. I, I'm having a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> like, those were games you just love to play. Come on, give us a, just give us a chance. See what happens. Take our chances with it. But if you play a good game, play a good game. Too. You had to otherwise they'd blow you out. So, yeah, so credit's there first off. Uh, secondly, uh, so I started back in 71, 72. And, uh, you know, I had three, three strikes to get three before I got the job. One strike was the military draft of uh, 1969. I got a draft number. Two was uh, I just signed with Kansas City to play pro soccer. And uh, what's the next the third one? I'll have to think third one later on. But anyway, three things were working against me. And oh, I, I know what it was. And it was the National uh, Guard in Kansas. This came back from duty in Vietnam, and I was coaching the local high school team up there called Bishop Hogan. And there, one of my players was the uh, general in the unit that came back. And so they had, they needed openings, and uh, so I filled some openings and did, did all the other stuff after that. So, so that was my luck getting to CBC. Yeah. And, and uh, Initially, I had turned CBC down in the first call around because 
I just signed with the Spurs. And I thought, there goes, there goes what I wanted to do, my career right there. But fortunately, they called back the second year because they had a, they had a, a, a coaching change. This time it was the varsity position. And I said, thank you, Lord, I'll, I'll be there. And that's kind of started, that's where it started. Yeah. Yeah. As I alluded earlier, I mean, both Dominic and Shamanati uh, had very competitive, but they weren't just quite there, but CBC had they were there already. So, to me, it was, uh, don't mess it up, man. Just don't mess it up. Keep it going. You know. <laughs> My first year, went from 39 to 24. I thought, oh, boy. Yeah. They're going to perfect. So the next year, I did myself and went to 12 and 4. And it was going a long way for about three or four years. And finally, we managed to put the brakes on a little bit. The old Duran guy walked into the building with Mike. Heard <laughs> of him. Bob Life change. Life gets better when you got those kind of players. That's for sure. <laughs> well, let's. So that's kind of what I want to. I'd like to start there. Is kind of uh, a jumping off point to where we can kind of blend all three of these stories and pedigrees. Um, and you know, maybe Coach Keller, you first. Uh, my question is this: You know, because you you to a degree of the three, you're a little bit more of quote the outsider just because of the logistics of the school, the history of the school. It was a newer program compared to clearly CBC and Chaminade to follow. Uh, as you're running that pro, you get into the program, you're looking at it. Um, do, what kind of competitive advantage do you think you have as a high school coach just because you're in St. Louis? Do you think that's real? Does it exist? And why do you think it is so? St. Dominic, when I arrived, wasn't a new program by any stretch of imagination. I think the program began in 1965. Sure. And so, I mean, it had its, uh, its roots going way back um, when it was mostly a rural school. Um, obviously, the demographics changed when North County moved to St. Charles County. Um, and that improved everything as far as soccer goes for the whole entire St. Charles County, not just St. Dominic, um, because Duchenne had probably the the, the first um, big teams coming out. Never heard of them. Um, but I, I it, it just took Some it took a while for that to person. take hold, and um, so for me, it was the competitiveness uh, came from when those you know we had those players that were playing from a young age um, all the way through. When I arrived at St. Dominic, I had and, and this is something we'll probably touch on in a little bit as well. I had uh, three uh, players that played uh, far a uh, Scott Gallagher, but they were burnt out, literally burnt out, because they played so many games on weekends. And I was just I couldn't figure it out. I was just like, man, you know, like, where's that passion? Like, it, and uh, so. We're starting to see that that trend. We even though we we're getting a lot of competitiveness in, in our players, we we're also getting players that were um, because the the training volume at that time was driven down higher for those ages that were younger. So players were starting to burn burn out uh, by the time they were eighteen. Now we're starting to see it, unfortunately, even earlier. Uh, we're seeing it at thirteen. Um, I I I primarily teach sophomore level. 
and I've had heart-to-heart talks with players all the time about, you know, where's that passion? Are you just playing to, to please your parents? Or are you are you trying to just uh, get through it all, and you don't want to rock yeah. the boat? Or are you you trying to play? So, in terms of competitiveness, it, it, it's a you know obviously. Um, you know, playing the likes of, of Terry's team and, and Mike and, and the rest, uh, obviously we're, we've raised our level considerably over the years. But in terms of um, – but that's just a natural, I think, thing that would occur with players playing all the time from a young age. Um, but we have to do something better in our system to uh, to get these kids to to want to play. And, not, and it's not a job. It's a – you know, to let it, the development happen organically rather than being forced. Uh, Vader, my, my question to you, kind of a similar question. You you were your you came into a program in an environment in a geography significantly different than uh, Coach Keller's program, um, and being a Southsider, you know, growing up in the club system and then playing at a, at a very very high level at SIUE, et cetera. You get to Chaminade. Um, you kind of pro- you you knew the landscape. You knew the kind of players that you were going to be bringing in. Um, how did that affect, or how did that influence your coaching style um, from you know taking kids that might be a little bit newer to the game versus knowing you have good pedigree coming down the pipe? Sure. Well, you know the training got better certainly uh, because we could do different things because the players were better. They were technically better. Uh, athletically better, uh, intelligently better, you know, so we could do different things in practice that we might not have done the first few years, and that just kept getting better and better. And the environment got better because of the better players, and you either got with it or you got left behind. And when we had all those good kids come through, and uh, you had to be pretty good to make our teams, you know, back then. And we, we were one of the smaller schools in the MCC, at right. the time, and uh, when you've got all five of us right there, uh, St. Louis U High, Vianney, just met in CBC, and we're all basically within a, a mile or so of each <laughs> other. Um, you had to compete, and we were lucky to get those guys that uh, wanted to come to Chaminade, and uh, uh, it, we just got better, and I think the kids out there saw that, and they were like, why not Chaminade? You know, I, we could go there, I guess, just as easily, but... Kind of, and back then too, they kind of kids kind of traveled in packs. Yeah, you know, yeah absolutely. Get, you'd get five or six. Like we got those, you know, those kids from Tom Holmes's Bush team. Yeah, and then you turned around and got it from Thebes and yeah. and Brad and all those guys as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, and they came, and some of them knew me from when I coached Gallagher. My mm-hmm. first Scott Gallagher team were Billy Bomoff and Harry Weiss were the two big guys, you know, and <laughs> yeah. Billy was a spectacular player at uh, CBC in South Carolina, and Harry had a pretty good career, too, at Indiana and uh, Desmet, yeah. you know, and uh, I've again, I've just been really lucky to be around good players, and with good players, the training is going to be better, yeah. you know, and, yeah. you, and you can, it, it just is, because naturally why wouldn't it be and, that, that, that's and so that and that raised the bar for all those other kids too to get better because they wanted to be on the field yeah you know they, happy players on the field you know and i it, uh, Makes they, they don't want to they don't want to be sitting up there next to me yeah you know they want to be in the first <laughs> 11 and have an opportunity to play a lot of minutes and so everything got better because of the better players simple as that go ahead zach i just have a a, a question on the impact of the cyc on the on the MCC, which we've we've used that term a couple times, 
Some people might not know what the MCC is. It's the Metro Catholic Conference. Right. So, CYC... <laughs> that would have been us. That's why he asked you that way. No, I knew what it was. I, I knew what it was. <laughs> okay. Because we were talking about it I earlier. I'm a public school rat. So am I. You know, I, I went to a really illustrious school down in Washington, Missouri, <laughs> called Washington High School. But, so, I, I guess my question is, do you think that you look back on the history of CBC, and Terry, this is for you as well, and, and I, I might start with you on this question. The impact that the CYC program had on the Catholic high schools in specifics, but in general, soccer in St. Louis, and... And it goes out to, to Duchenne, goes out to St. Dominic. I mean, it goes way beyond just the, the walls of the St. Louis city at the time. And so, Terry, if you could kind of walk us through a little bit of that history, and then I want to kick it over, because, Greg, you, you talked about when North County moved to St. Charles <laughs> County. Um, out of those parishes. Right, and created new ones out west and things like that. So I'm just – I think that's such a huge part. And we don't have – I mean, yeah, Coach Vader, you, you do have – summit so you have some public school ties but this is a pretty dominant uh private school conversation with the three of you so currently currently yeah so i, I want to be specific there so terry can you can you kind of chime in there oh absolutely <clears throat> and i think greg said it well uh, when tim Reen came his way and vader listed his litany of guys and i listed uh, you know my gerald Duran and other guys who came through the, the key i was always who among the, the players was influencing other players. Yeah. And fed like wildfire, hey, if these guys were going to go to this school and everybody respected those guys, you want to be part of that with them. You know, you didn't want to be looking across the field playing against them. You didn't have to. So that was a big, big, big part of it. You know, the, and, and I know on one of my teams, uh, 2014, I think it was, we won the championship. And we had a, a boatload of really, really quality, talented players. And they were all influenced by, a, a, by one of our goalies, who would have been probably the least guy you would have thought would have had that much influence on, on that many guys. But sure enough, I mean, in their social in their social realm, they were really connected tight. And, you know, when he made the call where he was going, they all felt fine. They all felt amazing. Now, the second thing, too, that goes along with, with the uh, – with uh, Greg's St. Charles stuff and Vader's uh, sound and that stuff is, is the, the culture. It's all these culture. Yeah. You know, in, in St. Louis high school soccer, which started, uh, probably had to start way back when, but probably came to some prominence in the 50s, okay? You still had people moving into the community of, of, of ethnicity, uh, ethnic groups, you know, because they moved in with families and they moved in with people that, that knew. You know, and and they and they brought soccer with them, brought soccer with them. You know, and then as, as time evolved, those started moving out elsewhere. You know, and as they moved, so you know, so the whole thing goes. It, it, people move with them. But uh, yeah, CYC had incredible reputation. I've talked. I've heard so many of your podcasts, and I haven't heard a person yet say, "Oh, CYC was a waste of my time." No, no way, will. No, you, you need to ask hey, a current parent. Hey, Terry, <laughs> I think um, uh, Vader had to leave um, because basically, since you brought up 2014, <laughs> he threw the headphones down and left. He he told us we have to buy our beers now. Good job, Terry. <laughs> that's, 
2012. I, I, I owe you all the apology I gave for on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but we still lost. <laughs> now, kicking it over to you, Greg uh, and Vader, you know, Terry kind of set the stage, you know, for the early days of CYC, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, CYC was still a pretty dominant um, soccer option. Things have changed a little bit, and I don't want to get into the high school side of things on that, but just the development side of CYC and, and how that played an impact maybe in your own life. Because I'm, I'm assuming, North and South Siders, that CYC was a part of your development. Um, <clears throat> those are parent coaches. Probably one of your parents, perhaps. Um, and so I, I think that's so fascinating. And we, we talked about the Malloys earlier. It's a, a good family friend. And you have, Greg, some, some ties to the Malloys as well on your yeah. girls' team. Uh, some of those two you know, back-to-back -back state championships with Avery. Uh, mm -hmm. So just talk a little bit more. Uh, pick up where, where Terry left off on that. Because I think it's such a – I'm tying that all back with, with the, the – foundation of where St. Louis soccer kind of comes from. And I think the CYC piece is huge. Yeah, and Terry touched on it a little bit. Um, the CYC relied on the parish life, the community life. Right. And so you had inherent uh, facilities that were available for all the sports. And it, was, it costs relatively nil to uh, participate. And so it had a vast uh, impact on it grew from the city out into the county. I grew up in Florissant. Um, I'm an Aquinas guy that used to uh, beat up on St. Mary's. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and anyway, uh, but anyway, we, the CYC had its effect because I think the, the rivalries that existed from parish life into high school was inherent. Yeah. It, it, we didn't have to build it. You didn't have to ask for it. You didn't have to go search for it. It, it was there. And so your neighborhood kids that you grew up with were going to the same high schools, and that just made it even more a community effect. But there's no doubt that the CYC played an integral part in the sport of soccer. I mean, and, you know, we even talk about if somebody would have had the vision back then to – it would have been incredible. I think neighborhoods would have been saved. People wouldn't have had the mass flight out of the county or city because – if they could have built such a great league and great development system oh, yeah. that I think it probably was talked about, but maybe somebody didn't have that vision higher up in the archdiocese. <clears throat> and we talked about it all the time that, uh, in, in one of the reasons that we're, we're starting this high school champions league, um, is to bring some of that back to yeah. bring that, that fervor invigorate the high school game even in, even more than what it has been in the past. So let me let me ask. Um, I'd go to I'm going to go to you, Vader, on this one um, because you have a personal connection, obviously, to Gallagher having played there. Um, and you know, and this is really I'm going to take us kind of to the next phase beyond CYC because for the most part, CYC it exists today, but it hasn't really been relevant since early 90s or, or before, way before that even. Probably um, late 80s it would be the, the ballpark there. So w when when clubs in the 80s in particular, because Scott Gallagher is 1975, 6? Scott Gallagher was Ruiz, and then Ruiz stopped, <clears throat> ceased operations, and then Jim Scott and Jim Gallagher. Yep. Right. 
right, right. said, let's, let's, uh, let's start a program. And they threw the money into league fees, whatever. Yeah, so you have Gallagher kicking off. 79, you have, 78, 79. I, I yeah, that's that right. right. Yeah. Uh, Norco, another one, Voyage. You know, yeah, yeah. All these clubs are starting to percolate. And in the 80s, there, there's, there's a transition that is occurring between the parishes and CYC clubs and C, CYC rec play into club. Um, when, when you saw that coming, having been directly involved, being part of it, being a coach, being really in tune with the soccer community, did you have any idea that it was going to pick up the pace that it did, that it picked up the momentum, the, the volume of A, clubs, B, tournaments, etc.? Um, were you surprised by it sitting in the position that you were a young head coach at a local prominent high school? Were you watching it move at a pace that surprised you or did you think it was inevitable? It was inevitable. Uh, you know, the clubs back in the day, I hate to be that guy, but you know, (laughs) everybody had a a team at an age group. There was one team, you know, so you had to be pretty good to make those teams. And if you didn't make Bush or Scott Gallagher or, Libby or whoever it might be, you, you tried out for another team. Absolutely, you know. But uh, uh, but then I I saw it becoming a business uh, probably in the mid to late nineties. Okay. Uh, because places all over the rest of the country, we were just coaching because we love to coach, yep. and we yep. still do. You know, no doubt about it. But there were people were starting to get paid to coach clubs out of St. Louis, out of Missouri back in the day how much of our um late 80s and early 90s uh, through the 90s for that matter national success on both girls and boys clubs directly out of this market um was a a, a way for that snowball to build on the club game for me when we're coming home and and, and gallagher and bush on both boys and girls jamie marine they're getting stars on their jerseys and they're and they're competing nationally in snickers type cup uh, Maguire Cups, um, which I, I know we we competed in Maguire Cups way back in the day as well. That was kind of a means for the the clubs to just get outrageous because of all the success that we had here locally within our club situation. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. There was, uh, you know, there was there was only a nineteen, a sixteen, a fourteen, and a twelve. Right. You know, back. Right way back in the day you know so if you were an 11 or 10 year old you were hoping to make an under 12 team if you were really good under 12 or 13 player you were hoping to play under 14 with the guys older than you same thing at 16 and then 19 was a little tricky because of being college which i was a freshman in college on that 81 gallagher team there was like six of us that were freshmen in college the rest guys were either going to be freshmen or they were juniors so we had a mix of 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, and guys that were just turning 19. Um, but then U.S. soccer decided we got so many kids playing now, yep. let's add an age group. Let's add – we'll start with under 17. Here comes the 94 World Cup. And then they went to under 15, then they added under 18. Yeah. They had 14, and they added 13. So now they became an age group championship, basically. But there was only one tournament back at the time. It was – you won your state tournament – you went to regionals, and then if you were right. fortunate to get through regionals, you went to nationals, and uh, and just to get out of Missouri alone was brutal. Absolutely, you know, and uh, and if you and did, region two wasn't no slouch no, either. You know, you were playing, you know, the good teams from Illinois, Ohio, Ohio, Ohio yeah. North, and Ohio South. Yeah, and uh, you know Terry made a good point that they traveled in packs. Well, a lot of those kids that were on those club teams 
right. we're all at one high school at the same time. Right. You know, and the, probably the biggest pack of all, and still in my mind, was Di Maria, the Moriarty twins, yeah. who Terry knows, yeah. uh, Kalish, Mark Phila, <clears throat> and that group, right? And they stuck together, and then uh, they won the McGuire Cup in yeah. uh, in '98. Not just yeah. once. Did that they, group only, yeah, we only won once. You with only that won group. once. With yeah, that we group? went up in Indianapolis. We beat. Uh, so those guys aren't that good. No. <laughs> hey, Terry, Terry, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you part B of this question because um, I, I'm curious as to how you personally, um, you know, because you saw the transition, you know, that the, uh, Vader just referenced, you know, knowing that the momentum of clubs was picking up. Uh, did that adjust? kind of your year-round approach, your philosophy? Were you paying way more attention to these clubs? Um, to a degree, dare I say, scouting? Um, you know, did, when you saw that the clubs were it, it, it mushrooming the way that they were, and not only growing, but they were winning, like Jared and, and, and Coach just mentioned, how did that affect your kind of communication preparation and who you were looking yeah. for moving forward? Sure. As I'm checking my notebook here now, which you guys will get a kick out of, right? <laughs> <laughs> Still my favorite. <laughs> I knew for you that you liked that one. But there are different trends and series uh, throughout the years with high school soccer and club because uh, Vader mentioned, I don't think Gallagher came on board until about like 1978. They won their first championship in 81. But prior to that, the, the, the club scene was very, very limited. Wasn't many opportunities for kids to be playing football, which I think forced more reason to play CYC year-round when they're not playing high school. Yeah. CYC is juvenile, junior, intermediate, juvenile, junior, the whole bit, all the way up. But then in, in about the, the mid-60s, because I was a junior in high school when this happened, Pepsi sponsored the Pepsi League. And the Pepsi League was the elite league to be in because, listen to this, you didn't have to pay to play. They yep. paid you to play, right? That's why it was called Select. They select you, they give you an ID card, you go to local sporting goods, you get your stuff, you show up for practice, you play, represent your geographic region, right? Okay. Now, also in that period of time, if you were to look at the national championship McGuire Cup winners from 60 to 80, St. Louis won 15 of those. And of those 15, the great majority of them were Terry's teams. Macklin, Hart, and Mary, South, St. Bart's, and Denard, St. Disney. Terry's team. Yeah. Not big, big club teams, okay? So that was a big transition. Then... Then when, when uh, Bush and Gallagher got into it, you know, and, and Bush got into it with, with a nice cash of support, financial money behind them, they wanted to they wanted to get on the map, you know. They wanted to get on the map, so there they go. They go pushing. Now, to get to your question, when, what I noticed during that period of time when the transitions were taking place, that my guys, in particular my guys, because that's all I could really pay attention to, were still gravitating to where the majority of the guys they played high school with we're playing club ball. They still stayed together in that pack. So, you know, they got year-round benefits, basically. Terry, did you, at that time, when you started noticing that, and those clubs were coming into fruition, and then there was coaching guys that are affiliated with those clubs, namely Tom Holmes, who was also a high school coach, or other guys that coach club soccer in 
the winter, spring, and summer, yeah. and then coached boys soccer in the fall at a, at a random high school. Um, yeah. Do you? And, and this is a crazy statement because there's Dale Durans of the world, there's Altros of the world, there's all these guys. As a collective group, do you feel like the players? Um, were better as a group when club was really getting going in its heyday, or or, or do you feel that that's not an accurate statement? No, I really do. I, and you know, the other thing we had going was we had a really vibrant CYC senior league. You know, which which went by the wayside once we got the steamers, the stars, steamers, and all that stuff. It kind of got pushed to the side. So these kids kind of had one eye on, on on the present, one eye on the future. You know, so there be some really, really uh, high-quality uh, senior games, league games and cup games that were played throughout St. Louis. And, you know, these kids had opportunity to go out and watch that. that that's where they wanted to be. That was their, that was their ambition, get to that level. So, yeah, I, I don't think it really took a hit, per se. I mean, we had, we had good groups and clusters of kids in different parts of the city at different, in different periods of time. I think that, that always remains strong. I think what you're saying is it was just a different time in general. Um, I mean, yeah. if we can be frank. I mean, l- l- let's call a spade a spade. That time was different than what it is now, which I think later on here in this episode, we're going to get into what those differences are, pros and cons. That's a perfect segue, Jared. <clears throat> well done. Thank you. We're going to take How long was that? What's that? Because... We didn't know back in the day what was going to happen next and how it was going to turn out. You know, you just kept faith in what you were doing and hoped that the soccer guys would look favorably upon everybody. I mean, it's all about everybody doing their thing to make soccer better. Yep. You know, the city come on board and, and all the people that city would like to recognize and honor. I, I stood back one day recently and I go, look at, look at the layers of contributing people in St. Louis that have contributed to St. Louis soccer success. Look at the layers of top layer, next layer, layer after layer after layer. To the kid that played, you know, kickballs as a, as a kindergartner somewhere, you know, in, in his career. Yeah. Layers and layers there's a player to contribute. Well, here's what we're going to do, Terry. Uh, everybody, I'm, I'm going to roll us out to a quick break. Uh, we are going to get a quick refill. When we come back, We're going to talk a little bit about the current landscape, Uh, academy, high school, Champions League, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be fun. So come back. We will uh, get this thing going in just a second. See ya. I'm Max, and I'm nine years old. When I'm not playing soccer, jumping on a trampoline, or playing Xbox, with permission, of course, I listen to the Baked In Podcast with Josh Allen. Josh talks to some of the most incredible business leaders in St. Louis. From Maxine Clark of Build-A-Bear to Gerard Kraft, the chief flavor officer for my favorite team, St. Louis City SC. There's something for everyone. If you're interested in the secret sauce of success... Check out the Baked In Podcast. Now, back to those old guys. Okay. We're back. Zach, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. You totally have pizza coma, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. I'm just excited to be here. I mean, hearing the stories from these 
legendary coaches about their own past, not just what they're done as a coach, but their own playing days and their path is cool. And I know we're going to get into what that looks like now. So yeah. Did you feel like you got a little bit of a, I had to skateboard uphill barefooted both ways though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just playing. Yeah. With two left footed shoes, no cleats. Terry's got something to say on that one. (laughs) Go ahead, Terry. What were you going to say? We do remember taking our our soccer shoes to the shoemaker so he could pound the nails out of the inside of them. <laughs> wow. I don't, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't say that. No. You know, we played at Hickey Field in Pine Lawn, and I'd walk from my house in, in Normandy right down Natural Bridge and stop in there before the game. So they pound out these nails for me and go play a game. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we are, we are back with Coach Terry Mickler from the CBC Coach Greg Keller from St. Dom. Right, Jared? It's called St. Dominic, and it's in Ophir, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say it with a little bit more uh, relevance. <laughs> Rev- revenance. No, uh, relevance. I'm going relevance. Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> that, that would be bingo card worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Gavain from Chaminade rounds us out here. I got to um, say something really quickly. I, this, I'm, my mind is blown. When you said how you got your nickname... I just realized two different people. No, that Darth Vader, Vader is short for Invader. I had no idea. And that's where you got your name was Space Invaders. He just explained that. Is that your I, no, is no, that no, your saying, is that your pinnacle point of the day for? It will be. It will be soon. <laughs> no, I just I realized I'd never realized that Darth Vader was short for Invader. Yeah, we, Coach Mickler, we we owe, we owe your uh, a couple of your alumni a little gratitude for helping us out with this show. Uh, Bill and Chris over That's there, right. Pinnacle Loan Group. How about they, those guys? They uh, what's that? Undefeated twenty game undefeated freshman season. How about that? What's un What's unbelievable is they played freshmen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the sponsor, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, we. Pulled up all right. And Bill, uh, uh, soccer brain. He was the playmaker. Yep. That's. And then very big. Billy wasn't. He wasn't very taller than the high, high bladed grass. <laughs> Billy was short, but he was a good player. All right. Moving on, JB. Get us on the rails here. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shake it up now. Uh, I have a feeling this topic uh, the three of you guys have uh, vast opinions on, um, and we're just gonna we're gonna dig right into it. Um, let me set the table a little bit because obviously the majority of the people that listen to the show they they know us, uh, you know, our, our boys, uh, the role that we play as parents and where they play. Our, all three of our kids are at City City Academy, came from Gallagher Academy. Um, you know, so we've kind of been on the front lines the last few years. You know, with with the landscape as it sits, um, uh, at at the showcases, at the GA Cups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And for Jared and myself, um, we've talked about this. And in, in, in Zach played high school as well. Um, our high school experiences were, for me, uh, I said to, today on the ride over here, my, from my sophomore year through my senior year the greatest experience that I had as a player. Uh, and that includes college years that were fun, but they didn't, they didn't equate to the experience that was, you know, playing, playing high school. Um, so 
There's a monstrous uh, debate, um, uh, uh, disagreement, uh, call it what you will. Well, here, let me tell you my full disclaimer about mine. For, for me, we, I, I played club soccer. I played high school soccer. Um, that is what you did at my age group at the time. Um, I, I played for a very good club, and we had a lot of success on the club side. And then the club soccer just shut down for the fall here in St. Louis. I, too, had an excellent time. Um, for me, well, high school, and with our buddies that also played club, high school was almost like that time off because that was our only time off. It really wasn't off. We still trained every day. We still practiced. But it was almost a vacation a little bit, at least in my neighborhood. It wasn't the same as probably what the Moriarty's were doing at CBC or you were at Gene Baker. And as not a shot on St. Dominic or the program at that time, we just had more fun. Yeah. So, so that was my experience. So I had the blast during high school. Go ahead. Well, here's where I want to do. I want to go straight. I want to go to the finish line first. I'm going to start with you, Vader. Um, just, just a quick opinion of the state of academies, MLS Next academies in particular. Um, what's your, what's your opinion of them today as it pertains to players? And what they're developing, training, and kind of what that what that league looks like. What's your take on it? Well, I would hope they would be developing these guys because they supposedly have the top players for those teams. Now, whether they do or they don't, I don't know. I don't know all the kids. I know some of the guys who are playing that aren't at Chaminade anymore, and that few from CBC or Dominic or wherever they're at. But uh, you know, better players, better environment. MLS next, our city academy program, and if we got a kid that's that good, you know, I'm steering them that way. You know, it's plain and simple. Um, so we're so we're so we're specific, and you're saying if if you have a kid that good, you're steering currently in our climate today to city academy, but you're not steering him steering him to the other MLS academies. No, it's not that I'm not steering them that way with the other guys, but uh, I, you know, since City came on board, they're they're it in my mind. Okay, you know, and not that what Gallagher and Fuse and Sporting, you know, and, and I know all those guys. They, Absolutely, they do a great job with the kids, you know, uh, as I think we do a good job with our kids. Okay, you know, but uh, if we've got somebody that says, you know, I, and he doesn't even have to tell us if we think he's that level, uh, we're gonna mention to him, hey, you know, this might be a better opportunity because you got a chance to be a special, special player. So Yeah, Coach, Coach Keller, same question. Just generally speaking, quality of the players that you see, you know, looking at uh, the current landscape of the city, the city academies, um, you know, and even the, the Gallagher Academy here the last couple of years, because year one of city academy, Gallagher won that, that, that rivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where, what's your thought on what they're doing from a quality of player or funneling these players and then the ensuing kind of production of these players uh, as far as pathway? And so, so we're all clear, these guys, these three gentlemen currently at our table that coach for these high pedigree high schools, they have double-digit kids within these academies within their walls of their school. Go ahead, Mr. Keller. Yeah, uh, my view is, you know, when you're talking to MLS next, um, now I did a, what Mike said about, yeah, we're going to, uh, kids going to city Academy. Yeah, that's legit. 
That's the pro academy. <clears throat> That's the top. That's where you should be. I don't know where MLS should have gone. They should have kept it within the 28, 32 teams, professional teams, and kept it like that and then had your B, C level. Um, I think out of the 590 teams that currently are part of the MLS Next, that's 11,000 players, over 11,000 players. Are they the top players? I don't know. I don't. You would hope that in um, we would have a child's ambitions involved more than an adult's ambition in, re- in, in regards to just having teams playing leagues. I will say this about quality, though, and I... I and this is where we're going to go toward anyway in this discussion, is that when we talked about the history of soccer going way back to when Mike and I were playing uh, and first started with, with Gallagher, when I first started back in sixth grade, I, I was still playing CYC, but I, I decided to play a club at that time. There was only U16 and U19. One national championship. So you know who was good. You know, you knew, and you accepted if you weren't reaching that level, right? And then it went into U14, and like Mike said, U12 eventually um, later on. And so when you when you get into the quality measurement, it's kind of hard to say if you're getting the quality players that they, they're saying that they put out as reputation as quality. It's hard to say. It's hard to gauge. But if the main goal is to get a college scholarship – then there's two parts of that. One is you're playing in your own age group for four years. To me, and I'm sure because we're used to it because of our programs, which mock the college programs as well, is that how can you, if you're only playing U14, U15, U16, U17, U18, how does that prepare you for college? Well, if let, you're only let, playing I, in your own age, and I'm going to tell you this because let, let me interject. Take, let me have, real well, quick though. Let me interject because there's a lot of, to unpack there. Just in regards to how are you playing your own age, these clubs often and you know almost on a daily basis yeah. they are moving these kids around. You will see a U15 kid, true U15, training up at U17 or beyond. You know, and, and no different than any club has done historically from a private club standpoint, Gallagher or otherwise. So that's still happening, you know, and so I just want to put that out there in so much that it's not this horizontal layering of age groups. It's hard to understand when you have like a national team player that comes back and plays in their own age group. You're saying that they they're being moved up. Do you have a U sixteen national team player playing U nineteen? No, I'm saying that these clubs. I mean, we again we're sitting on the in the front row, kind of watching the process and taking the the feedback from not only our kids and the coaches and to a degree what they're willing to let families know because there sure. is there is a big wall between uh, what a typical club. Uh, communication engagement uh, that exists between coaches and trainers and families as a whole and how these MLS academies handle it they really keep it direct to the kid do I well I'm saying city yeah I mean city they're being because we took a tour down there city they're being evaluated every practice being recorded 
they're being analyzed, those players. That's a professional academy, right? Where did you stand at on this issue two years ago when City wasn't here and then there was Gallagher Academy and then Lou Fuse was there shortly added after and really not even at the high school level? So when City wasn't here and Gallagher was the only academy in town, did did you have a problem with those kids not playing high school at I never, Gallagher? I never had a problem. I have a problem if somebody is being told something that's is being a masquerade to a, a player who's young and being, um, you know, told something that's not really true in terms of college recruitment. Okay. So okay. Me, that's that's what I. That's, that makes sense. Everybody here, we talk about college exposure, but if you talk to the college coaches. They get a different picture because now it's a global recruiting. It's not local True. anymore. Yeah, without question. We're so talking about, like, you look at local rosters, that's not you in particular who just released his, his rosters. You're looking at from Spain, from Colombia, yeah. from Russia, without everywhere. Question. So it's not, it's not a local thing. And, and when you talk about as many scholarships that are available, um, Kids have got to be at the top of the line. Since we're talking let, me, about let me ask this real quick. Yeah, so go, go I want to set the table here for, for all three coaches and us, because I think this is one that we've gotten into a couple times. What are the metrics when you say, Coach Keller, uh, the output, right? So if we're talking about metrics of a good player, you said, I'm not sure if they get the top players anymore. Mm-hmm. What would be a metric to prove that that is a top player? Is it a D1 scholarship? Is it a USL Two contracts. I will say this: if if the main goal is just for a college scholarship, then we're we're shooting way below what it should be, um, and I think we're we're not developing in the manner that we hope to have. That's that's why I wanted to ask this question that we're hoping, I, I, and I, yes. I, it's a system wide problem. I'm not just talking that's, about it's a system wide. This is what I wanted to get to because I have, and I'm going to use my bingo card word, <laughs> <laughs> and that bingo card word is nuance. So if we're talking about what the goal of a personal player is, if the goal of that player is to play D1 college, there's a pretty clear way to get there based on the numbers we're hearing from college coaches in the United States for an American player. And that is the MLS Next. Primarily in the D1 system, when you look at their rosters, again, exclude the international players, the players that are going to those top D1 programs, the majority of them are coming from the MLS Next. Down from that, from in the America's pro academies. Team. No. No. All MLS, all MLS Next, Next Period. Out Not, of the 590 teams, they're yes, all coming from there. Like Don Ebert's FC Strikers yes. and, well, and that's others. A, that's, a le- that's a legitimate. The Wolves. Right. Uh, OKC Energy. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a lot. Scott Gallagher. So there are these non- MLS pro teams or non-pro MLS teams, and that's one of our problems. I think the recruit the recruitment um, aspect is some of these college recruiters maybe aren't at the top level either. That's 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 something we haven't talked about either. Another topic, but but I I I have to say in terms of um, you know I have three I have three players that opted to go MLS next just within the last couple months. And I think they're doing it more out of a pride factor than actually being quality. Well, because they wouldn't even play for me. Yeah, let me let yeah. me let me address that because we have this conversation. I personally, I can't speak on their behalf. I have this conversation with my son. You know, making sure that his uh, emotional 
uh, interest, his love affair with the game is still in right. existence, that, right. that it's there. Sure. And when it comes to the level of the competition that he's experiencing and how he mentally handles it, th- these kids are different today. We, we, we all played at this table, right? We all played. Totally and different. we also played in a time frame in which these academies didn't exist. So we're kind of we're kind of looking at this debate through a rose-colored glass, in so much that we all loved our experiences in high school, and obviously, as you guys as coaches, it's been it's been your bread and butter, it's been your passion, right? This is a new phenomenon, and our kids that are that have been born close to whenever academies came into existence, they don't know any different. Like that is their goal. So at some point. Can we maybe uh, give the kids a little bit more credit than than we're giving the conversation in so much that maybe it's just really what they want. Maybe it's like that is their goal, you know, because they don't understand or there's not metrics that they're used to like we were. Vader, I see kind of. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with all that, but uh, I still believe and uh, Cal's going to tell, and certainly Terry can too, you know, that college, if that's if that's the goal, because most of these kids aren't going to play MLS. Correct. Plain and simple. Without right. question. So <clears throat> what is what is their next step? Co- hopefully it's collegially that they get an education. Yeah. And they can still continue to play. And if they continue to grow their game, there's too many eyes out there, man. You know, so if they yep. continue to grow and all of a sudden as a freshman in college, he's okay. And then sophomore and junior year, you know, now he's, now the pros are coming to look at him you know because he's he's progressed that much we still at the high schools uh kevin kalish kevin stole down a slew every year yeggs todd before that coach yeah yegley uh bruce arena back in the day yeah. mark burson at uh south carolina back maroney in, at connecticut yeah, they still all call us yeah who are we missing you know, yep. we know these guys. We know that some of these guys on on this club team and this, you got anybody? But I hear this kid at CBC and St. Dominic's really good. Do we need to come see him play? Let me let me take what you said there real quick and let me shift it to Coach Mickler. Uh, you 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 put it. It was a little aha moment. Who are we missing? Yep. Whereas Coach Mickler, let me put this to you. In in your in your early years, you know, going through the seventies, eighties, and beyond when you were pumping out the players that you were that were landing D1 on the regular, that that question wasn't, when they were talking to you, they weren't saying, who are we missing? They were saying, who do we need? Who's a fit? So this whole concept of, um, you know, who, who, the coaches, these D1 coaches going to high schools, what's your take on that relationship today, knowing that, the kids that they quote need probably are coming from MLS next, and now it's you know who's the, who's the one that can maybe fill a gap or should we take a look at how how are you handling that right now? Well, you, you bring up a great point. A lot of, a lot of really good points here. Number one, back today, I could have coaches come in to, to my office at CBC. <clears throat> I could have a cluster of plastic of players in the area, not CBC players. And I give the guy a couple of darts and I go throw, go ahead and throw. Wherever it lands, you got players, take them. And that, that's how it was at times back in the day. Back in Vader's era when he was playing at St. Mary's, 
you know, we had talent like that all across the board. And maybe somebody saw more of it than others. So if they come to me because I've seen more of, the, of those kids, that's what, that's what it would be. I mean, as many CBT kids as I've been able to send off to college, I sent at least that many other, other kids from other schools for the same reason. They were good enough, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's definitely changed. Senior year now, for most of these kids, it may be their last competitive game. And I got quite a bit to say. I'll try and get it all in quickly. But that's my, one of my regrets right now with the academy. And Greg said it well. He, he put up the numbers of the number of teams and the number of players. At the end of that, that sequence, when it's all said and done, and the, the academy says, Thanks so much. We really liked everything you put into it. We're moving on to other guys, and we're not going with you. That's what I mean, he, he just gave up his high school experience. Yeah. Gallagher back in the day when, when academies were just coming, Gallagher coached administrators mm-hmm. would tell of players that were under 10 and 12 years old. Yeah. Under 10, under 12. You'll not high school soccer. You're in the we're losing, yeah, Terry. Terry, Terry, we're, we're, we're losing a little bit. Let me let me let your phone catch up there for a second, and we'll come back to you. <clears throat> um, okay. l- let me let me just kind of put it to the two of you here on the mic real quick. Um, do you think part of the problem with this debate is really just kind of we're comparing generations, really, uh, the current generation, which is the subject at hand, previous generations, those academies didn't exist, and then you compound within our metro metro area the successes that we've had not only clearly at the club level that we just talked about the these national titles etc you know that far outpace virtually anywhere in the country we are a mecca we know that we we acknowledge that but the high schools too you know when you have cbc winning 10 state titles you have viani going on the runs they went on the titles that you've accumulated the titles that granite city and collinsville accumulated on the east side of the river you know it's you have this this environment in which everybody was winning, which by default made all these programs look really, really good, right? And now, and now these kids have choices. For example, you, you started off the conversation, Tim Ream, kind of like you, know, you, you jokingly alluded to the fact that he made your career, right, out of the gate. Tim Ream would have never have been on a high school field if these academies existed at that time. You know, I'm, I'm going to bet the 99 out of the 100 bucks in my pocket, right? Josh Sargent, fast forward, he you know he did he didn't touch a high school field. So or the players that that Terry and Vader have mentioned, Brad, Dan, Darryl these Duran. guys, Dale Duran, the uh, Jeff D Maria. So like it's an era thing, like as far as what's going on then and what's going on now. So what I think helped you guys as high school coaches were uh, it, it seems to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're upset that you're not getting these players now. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's what oh. they're saying. And I and I'm going to jump that's in all. because I think I don't think that's it. I, it. It's it's more that what. Greg, you said was that the the De Maria's, the Brad Davises, those were clearly the top players at in in that at that time frame. Now it's not. I don't want to use the term watered down, 
it's harder to determine who the Brad Davis is because you have now three MLS Next Academies in the city they, plus the they high dis- school. They disappear earlier in the process. Well, that and it's it's a system-wide yeah. problem. And it, it, it filters through everything. The system in itself, I mean, and this is, we can talk about society. Um, in high school, we have four state champions now, when it used yeah. to be one. Right. Yeah. It used to be one McGuire Cup, you know. Yeah. Now there's, how, what, seven national championships now. So the, we've, we've created in our society a false sense of being good. Yeah. It's not, we celebrate uh, it's not a jab toward anybody. It's just that in society, we've created this, everybody needs a trophy, everybody needs to be an academy player. So where did we stop from 590 teams? Where are we going to go? We're going to go to 1,000? Right. I mean, where are we going to go for this? So it's a system-wide problem. Uh, are there more numbers, more kids playing than, than, than there were? Well, there's, I mean, a, that there's a paradox. There's more players playing now than before. Okay. But at the same time, we're losing players, like I said earlier, at a younger age that decide to quit. And Terry just alluded that at 18 now – players might be released from an academy and what what do you have to stand for that what do you have for that as in in european academies they're let go and now well they come here and play college yeah <laughs> they're swooped down yeah well, let me introduce found, you to they syracuse found the fountain, right they found the fountain to, to, yeah. hey i can still play and so here we don't have that do we yeah. it's like where do you go but we're seeing more and more players who it's become a job. They're doing it not because of the passion that you talked about. It's more, am I going to, well, is let, it really? Now, let, let me, I'm, I'm, go I'm going to say this, in, in, not for everybody, but I'm just saying we're seeing it more and more as a trend. Um, you know, I wish I could provide you the, the, the exact numbers, um, but there's, a, there's a, a study out there called the Sporting Project that, that follows these trends. And what we're going to see in the future I think Lou Fuse is on top of it, is that you're not going to have soccer clubs. You're going to have athletic clubs. You're going to have like, sports clubs. Like yeah. Barcelona. Because you're going to have that compensation that everybody's yeah. getting has to keep going, right? So uh, the only way to fund that would be to widen the whole spectrum of sports um, involvement. So I want to throw something And out that's there. the trend that nobody talks about that's heading that way. And it is. we're going to see it, that. It is. And it's, you're already starting to see it. Go ahead, Terry. I'll, I'll jump in after you, you, you finish up there, here. There's a, lot, there's a lot that nobody's talking about. When you had Yano on the podcast, yep. and you talked about the, 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 the uh, Dutch youth soccer, started in the, the village uh, where they grew up. Yep. And then they support of a red and white jersey or a blue and gold jersey. Black and red jersey, whatever it was. When they kind of got a little out through those, that fight might have been. Yeah. To go miles away. Hey, hey Terry. Terry, we're losing you yeah. really badly. And I, I think I'm going to pick up where you left off because it was actually my point, which is going back to the CYC stuff and the village concept of community based approach to growing the game. And I, I want to hopefully come back and we can get technical difficulties taken away because I want to hear Terry say this T-Mobile. me. But I, I think what I was going to ask I'm glad you brought that up. Greg and, and you Vader because I think <laughs> if we could have started, you said 
the Catholic Church missed an opportunity. Yeah. I don't think the Catholic Church. Well, I'm not going to talk about the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think U.S. soccer missed Lost. an opportunity yes, by by not recognizing. We had uh, Don Draghi on last week. He said in 1976 when he was at the NASL, 40 players in the NASL, which had what 12 teams at the time, 40 came from St. Louis. How come someone didn't recognize? What the hell are they doing over there in St. Louis? It had nothing. I mean, Catholic was the infrastructure, but you could replicate that. And what Terry is talking about is Jan Proin talked about how in Amsterdam and in other villages and towns mm-hmm. in Holland, they start at the community level and they walk to their club and well, then they can ride their bike to the next club if they get promoted. And, and, and Well, I'm glad you bring that up because the community is one of the pillars of St. Louis City. It's yeah. their third on the list. It's their, their pro team, mm-hmm. then the academies, and then community. And uh, we're, we've been speaking with, um, and we had a great meeting last week with, with city officials um, because of the promotion of our high school Champions League um, that fits into that community model. Yep. They, are, they, want, they understand the roots that we have here, and they don't want to turn community away. No, that's the, where they're going to build their foundation from everything it comes from community, and it's their holistic approach to player development as well that lends to the the aspect of having a, a high school champions league as well. Well, if I may, what I'd like to do is kind of shift this this question a little. My next question a little bit off of what you were saying, a little bit of what you mentioned earlier, where it's like, who am I missing? Um, and what I want to do is in, introduce and integrate the role of the parent in in this process, because that is major. That is a big part of this. Because what's what's stay away. <laughs> well, the, the, as much as these kids are, um, you know, in their own tribes and they're in their own, you know, Snapchat groups and yeah. TikTok followers and all that other stuff, which is really creating their new norm, their new backyard. It's not the neighbor across the street that they're going to be playing, you know, pick up basketball with. It's literally their friend online, right? So all of this has changed, but. Here, here's where I want to go with this, and, and, and I'll toss this over to you, Vader. Um, when, when you have Division I programs, you know, there's 216 Division I programs. There's 220 D2 programs and then NAIA and D3, uh, totaling about, uh, I think, 1,200 total programs, you know, equating to X amount of scholarships, right? And when you look at the numbers, you know, because you mentioned the total number of uh, you, uh, Coach Keller, talked about the total number of MLS academies equating to X in number of players. Well, the math is still, if you look at the total number of positions, rosters, if an average college roster has 25 players, the total number of MLS Next players coming out, assuming like a two-year rotation, doesn't fill. It, it doesn't fill the total number of available spots. Parents know that. Parents are more egotistical than most of these kids that are posting their own little Instagram highlights of juggling the ball seven times. So my question is to you, Coach Vader, um, how, how do you over the years and into today, you know, because we've talked to a number of other high school coaches that are, that are expressing to us behind the scenes, hey, I'm getting phone calls from parents that, you know, are like, well, my kid's on the bubble and they want to have that conversation. Are you getting the same kind of phone calls from parents that want to be a little bit more part of the process? Or are they still 
do you think that they're the ones helping feed the supply and demand of the expansion of the MLS teams? Take the, take the easy way out and say a little of both, you know, but, uh, um, you know, want to go back real quick to, you know, the, the players that choose to go to play MLS next with whoever academy program, whatever, you know, we're, we're not disappointed that they're leaving us, you know, because our big games are still big games, right? You know, whoever we play, we know that we still can provide these kids an opportunity and now the word pathway to be a college player, to potentially be a professional player. Um, and we believe in what we do, and we believe in who we train and how we train them, and we still believe it's a viable option. We still get the opportunity to talk to the collegiate coaches. There's so many eyes and ears everywhere now that most kids are not going to be missed, Yeah, yeah. whether they're playing high school, academy, right. the few parishes that are still around. Well, and the three coaches that are sitting at this table specifically, you guys have the longevity and, relationships. and the resume and the you know body of work that, for me, this is the only three that could argue this, this whole academy versus high school because of the relationships you guys have built over the years with these college coaches and with these clubs and your success speaks for itself. So I, I think that you guys, Mr. Mickler, you, you two sitting at the table, there's a lot of credence to, to where you guys are going with this. Well, let, let, me, let me frame just a simplistic question. And this is much, much broader and, you know, U.S. soccer as a whole. Do you think that the current landscape is taking us in the right direction to continue to develop the top-level players that we're seeing come out of the systems right now looking at our volume in Europe looking at the total US pool now clearly it hasn't equated to victories and I think there's a lot of different factors that attribute to that primarily the global growth of the game you know across a number of other nations but do you think at a minimum the quality of players is increasing due to the systems I don't think so I really don't I think that uh whoever's scouting or whoever's watching these kids play, uh, they've really got to narrow it down. These, there's got to be special players playing for City. You know, guys that really have an opportunity, and I don't think that they have those all those players. I think they're settling for lesser players. Uh, and certainly when you have the, that many clubs with academies, and I said it from day one when in the MLS, they were the only ones that should have an academy program. And you better be pretty good, not just locally, wherever those teams are, and like here in St. Louis. But they're going to draw players from all over the country, Absolutely. all over the world. Yeah. You know, it's a business. And, and they're going to want the best players that are available to them. And I think that we're cheating ourselves a little bit, believing that all these kids are going to be at that level. And I think the parents know that they're not. They know the percentages, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Hey, Greg, you had mentioned the SIU roster being released. And you had mentioned the international players. Did you look at it in depth, and did you quantify for this conversation how many players are on that roster that came from MLS academies and how many came from high schools? No, I didn't. I did not look at it either. But, it, you know, to, to add what Mike was just mentioning, in U.S., just like anywhere else in the world, academies are big business. It is a big business. Um, what we throw around as coaches sometimes is this word development. 
but what does it actually look like? And I think the U.S. has failed in understanding what that is. I, there's not a clear picture of what true development is. People throw the word around. Oh, yeah, we're development players. We've we got development system or whatever. But what is it? They named, like? they named the first academy I, I, Development Academy. I, I, yeah, I'll, like, I'll, what att- is I'll, like, I'll yeah. attempt to answer it and just I, so that we can... They wear the shirts that have DA, and I go, duh? <laughs> I, I'll attempt to answer it just for the sake of uh, uh, keeping the, the line of questioning going. Development could be defined as, you know, over the past 10, 15 years, our ability to get kids like, uh, you know, Tim Ream at the end of, uh, you know, that run. But now you're looking at Polisic and you're looking at... Uh, uh, Rainia and uh, you know just phenomenal talents sure. that are that are not only uh, uh, populating some of the biggest clubs in the world. They're mm-hmm. playing at the biggest clubs in the world. They're starting. You know we're we're seeing numbers of U.S. players becoming more and more relevant. We're at those relevant squads. It's true, and we're part of that global conversation now, where we're used to not be. The American player was like look the other way and now we're we've seen it slowly graduate to where we are right now just like the city landscape here with the the free academy right um is going to change the landscape it's just beginning and i think whether or not that's going to prove to be what you're talking about where players get more opportunities uh overseas possibly possibly we hope it goes that way Something but like I Terry think was good. Yeah, go ahead, Terry. Yeah, Terry. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the – take Felicity and Rainier, uh, whoever else you might want to throw in there. They never probably played at age group after they were tall enough to over the weeds. They always played up. So, you know, I'm a Ted Lasso fan. In the early episodes of Ted Lasso, one of his interviews, they said, okay, tell us about offside. And he said – You'll know it when you see it. In the in the third season, the game's on the line. They're going <laughs> to yep. lose the short goal. Everybody's disappointed. Ted says, "Offside." You'll know it when you see. It. That's what I'm saying with these players. You know, you know it when you see it. I mean, nobody's going to sneak up on somebody and say, "Well, here I am." Boom. Well, how did you get this far without being noticed? That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. Yeah, I Joe think, Clark said that. I think, I think somewhere along the lines of. U.S. soccer, I don't know where this would be. But they owe these parents, especially the the non-MLS uh, academy, they owe these parents a sit-down, thorough explanation. We brought a guy over from Holland a few years ago. It was with Utrecht, professional team, professional player. His job was to sit down with the parents and prepare them not making the team. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. So we just bring we just bringing them along. The Gallagher, the uh, Hughes, the Academy, those people are still paying, I imagine. Yeah. So, you know, why? They're second, third, fourth tier teams. Uh, I think there's a, a lot to unpack there, Terry, and I think you're, you're going down a path that this is where the, the, the ickiness comes in. Because, <laughs> Greg, you've, you've, you've thrown out the term business multiple times, dollars, money, expectations, yeah. and that's why I wanted to set the table on – what these metrics look like, right? What, how are we defining what a good player is? And if it, in the United States, it's different than it in Europe because there are multiple options. And, you know, some of those top kids, like, you know, 
true transparency, we, our three kids are in the city academy. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing it front line. Mm-hmm. But we all played high school. I, my wife works at a high school. I have kids that are going to that program and will probably play high school, not academy. So I'm, I'm, I'm straddling the fence. But I do think at the end of the day, it's a, it's, if you want to continue your career post high school, and whether that's you're playing high school academy or high school, your high school team, it's college and then pro, right? I mean, is, is there any other way to define how no. good a player was? And if that's the definition, this this argument or discussion, because I don't really, I don't, we're not arguing, this discussion <laughs> plays out pretty quickly. And so the newest academy in St. Louis for U19 and down is going to be Lou Fuse. And then you have Gallagher, who's been in the game for the last 12 years or whatever it is in, in cities, the, 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 the newest MLS pro. I think the proof's going to be in the pudding. And, you know, having those those sit-down conversations that Terry was talking about are going to have to happen. I also think it's coaching, too, Let though, me Terry. Let me, oh, go ahead. Terry, let's step in. Let me jump in real quick. Because I picked this up in two of your podcasts, one with John and one with Brent. And when I listened to both of them, they both talked about the same thing in very, very, very different ways. True. And what I noticed... Yeah, what I noticed, what I to talk about. What I noticed the difference was, was where it all started. Where did it start? Now, Ren's argument made a lot of sense if you start off... You build it layer by layer by layer by layer, and you get everybody nodding their head and shaking their head. Yeah, that's good. I understand that. But didn't start on center. started off-center. You listen to John's proposal, and it started dead center, and every way up there was the same kind of evaluation and, and honesty in the program. Where it starts, then your argument fails or, or, or it holds water. Yeah. So here, I, I'm, I'm going to take us <clears> – I want to shift maybe the uh, optics of this a little bit because we, we know numbers show more kids are playing soccer today everywhere in the United States than they have at any, any point in history. Um, there are more clubs below academy clubs that are just permeating everywhere that have good trainers, good coaches, even some dad coaches that might have played a little bit so it's not chaotic. <laughs> right. So the overall landscape, the total volume of player pool is increasing across the board. So w- what about those that look at this argument and are like, hold on, if the high school premise, if the value prop is experience, is camaraderie, is culture, in addition to competing and playing for programs such as all three of yours, and at the same time you have these academies that are limiting, uh, let's say the math is 10%, 10% of the total kids that come out you know, are, or, or that are eligible to play at your school are academy kids that can't. So 90% can, which means when you build your teams, you're building it with a full roster that if those academy kids were available and could play, did play, chose to play, they would, in essence, be knocking slots for other kids that, you know, could have that opportunity. We talked about it earlier, you know, talking about adding freshman teams because you don't want their first experience at a school to be, oh, hey, welcome to, you know, fall soccer, your freshman year, you're cut, you know? What about those people that are like, you're giving more opportunity to people because there are more slots open just for the sake of argument in either one of you. 
Well, actually, you know, all that's right on. Uh, as the kids get older, you know, there's one there's one team they want to play for at high school. You know, they want to be on the varsity, mm-hmm. yeah. whether it's their freshman year, sophomore year, junior, senior year. And we give those kids an opportunity. If they're good enough, you know, naturally we bring them up uh, as a freshman or a sophomore. Uh, but it's still we still have we're still funneling, right? You know, we're still yeah. funneling up to the top, and hopefully by their senior year, we've got the best players in the program competing and playing together and fighting for spots. Now, will we have twenty great players? No. Will we have ten really really good players? Hopefully, that'll make us really good. You know, but uh, but I think that's at the clubs too. I think right now the academy's got they might have five. I don't know the number because I don't see him play and I can't evaluate them. Um, but I still don't think that all the top – I would hope all the top players are at City. I would hope they are. But I still don't believe that they are. And some of those kids will choose to play high school because they want to play with their buddies still and they believe in what Greg does at Dominic and they still believe there's an opportunity for their game to grow and become a collegiate player, mm-hmm. hopefully a professional player after that. So talk about – Greg, you're wearing your, your St. Louis High School Champions League shirt. Yep, and that was the next point. We, <laughs> JV and I sat with Dave Ehrenberg from Ladue, and we spitballed ideas on how to kind of change the, the, the optics, as, as he was saying. And we came up with a really great idea, which was like a Champions League for high school teams. <laughs> we didn't know <laughs> it already existed, um, or at least was in, in talk. So I want to kind of close out with, with that a little bit, because I – not that we're talking in circles, but I think, again, there's so many avenues you can take this particular discussion. And I think you guys have done a great job of illustrating your particular point um, on on the topic at hand, but how it affects and how you think it affects the kids and the parents. Um, and we've talked about the business side a little bit. So I, this is not done. We're not burying it. It's not dead. But I, I do want to hear more about what this Champions League is, kind of where, where it came from and, and what the, the thoughts there are. And what are the requirements to be in it? Yeah. Well, this is uh, – we're very excited about the, the prospects that um, are we're formulating at the at, – I'll be talking to Mike right after we uh, end this uh, <laughs> session about uh, some meetings coming up. But um, the High School Champions League was talked about, and I remember having a conversation with Mike many, many years ago. But it wasn't. We couldn't do it with uh, the current um, MISHA standards, Missouri State High School Activity Association, um, which limited us in tournaments yeah. and so many games. So now we have a 25-game limit, flat, which works perfectly for what this concept is. So we were contacted by uh, Perry Vanderbeck, who was the very first player um, from my high school. Aquinas drafted in the old NASL um, back in 1978 um, with the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and he's been down there ever since, really, basically. And um, Perry was associated with Jim Hart and David Wilson, who six years ago in the Tampa Bay area started um, what they thought to reinvigorate their their uh, high school leagues and and to really do something special um, that's merit-based, community-based, and offers the players this unique experience. And so they teamed up with Perry and the Tampa Bay Rowdies. 
similar to what we are currently in talks with with City at this point. And so what they did is they took uh, the top teams. Uh, they have their their poll, and they took top 16 teams uh, based on previous years, just like the Champions League, based on your Got it. where okay. you ended up previously. Mm-hmm. And they um, had the draw. Um, we could picture it here. It, it twigs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, by parents, <laughs> players, everybody. And they had the draw, take it out of the hat, put the board up. And uh, the kids took to it unbelievably. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they operate at a different uh, pace than we do. They end in December where clubs okay. are already picking up their showcase right. events, right? Their kids, obviously, um, from what we've been told, chose to stay with their high school and skip their clubs because of the special, unique flavor and the community involvement, the school communities that support this entirely, like a state championship. Yep. And so who's the best in this area in, in high school? We draw that based off of the rivalries that are inherent. I mean, you put a St. Dominic and a Chaminade um, game together, you're going to get a big crowd. A CBC and SLU, you're going to get a big crowd, right? I mean, you're going to – so these these type of rivalries are inherent, right? And, and you take the top teams – based on last year, and you have three games that you play with two games, and we designated a Saturday where these games would be played on doubleheader-type atmosphere. Everything's free. Uh, That means that the schools don't pay for referees, supervision. We're going to get sponsorship that pays for that. There's scholarship offerings for, and this is boys and girls, not just boys season. It'd be in the springs, well, mm-hmm. and um, the sponsorship would pay for the trophy, which is in the you know everything that goes into putting on an event, and it's going to reinvigorate in how we look at high school soccer. It's going to you know answer that question where we were talking about having so many championships now. Who is the best in St. Louis in high yep. school? Mm-hmm. So now this is adds to that fervor. Very and cool. so we're hoping that uh, by um, December of this year, we will have all the plans in place and we'll be ready to roll it out. And, um, you know, I'm very excited. I know, you know, Mike's been working with us and, and Terry's been doing an excellent job as well. And uh, the support, the collegiality of the coaches one of the unique aspects is that, you know, we can get together and talk about things after the game. It's not like, you know, you know, gosh darn it, you know, I'm not going to talk to you for a year or whatever, but we're friends. And so it, it adds to that, which only increases the um, the aspect of what high school soccer offers to the community. Sure. Fr- and, friends until Champions League. Yeah, until that happens, <laughs> um, until we get that trophy a few times. <laughs> but it's going to be fun, and um, it's going to highlight those players that don't get a chance to play, that might fall through the cracks, Yeah, that somebody like a Lutz might show up and go, whoa, that kid, we need to bring him in. Um, and, and that's not out of the picture for a lot of these kids. I well, mean, well, that, I think, that happens more than you think. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a very, very smart move because as a as a uh, passionate high school lover, based on my own experience, um, 
I, I love seeing change because watching the current academy landscape, seeing my kid go through the process, seeing a lot of friends, kids thrive, you know, all the way to homegrown and beyond, the academy system is moving faster than the high school system has been over the, over the past 10, 15, 20 years. So to see something like this, it's like, okay, hey, no more counterpunching. We have to go on the offense a little bit. I love it. I think, you know, expanding that into, you know, maybe keeping a player ranking going through the year as well. You know, you top three from each team have a list where all the coaches vote on it because these college coaches, because forget about path to pro. I mean, I know, yeah, Lutz would love to find the next Miggy at something like that, but <laughs> yeah. that's realistically a very, very small, slim chance. What is more possible is to get some of the NCAA programs back to the table earlier instead of trying to wait for, hey, who am I missing? How about, hey, you know this is coming in the fall. Come check it out. Turn it back into a tournament of champions kind of thing, right? And that's why we designated a Saturday night because when college teams travel – they play on Friday night, take the day off Saturday, play Sunday. So this allows those college coaches that may be in town during those scheduled dates that will be, hey, let's go catch this uh, these four games or these six games or whatever it may be on that Saturday that we're, we're Or if conducting. it really involves into something special, hey, assistant, when we're traveling, go to St. Louis sure. or go to the, the Champions League. Exactly, and then and that's what we're, we're hoping happens. And I love I, it. I think it's going to open the door, and it's going to be an exciting thing. Yep. Well, so here's what I'm going to do, because I'm going to wrap us up. We've we've been on here for a minute plus. Um, I really want to thank everybody for their time. Uh, you know, Coach Vader as well, the hospitality. Love this place. I've been coming, like I told you earlier, I've been coming here since probably – month after you open your doors is about when we had our first double decker that love this place so come out check out jj twigs dowdy ferry and big bend um i have a, i have a parting question and, and no offense to coach keller i want to i want to put this between uh chaminade and cbc terry you ready for this question <laughs> all right here's what we're gonna do and i'll coach uh, gavane you can go first you pull your top 11 all time. You play Terry's top 11 all time. Who wins that game? I do. <laughs> Keller still jumped in. Oh, I'm going to guess. I, I, uh, I agree with Keller. <laughs> I'm going to guess 2-2 two, two overtime and then. Uh, bloodbath. Yeah, not a bloodbath. It would be a pretty entertaining game, though, let me tell you. Terry, who, who, who scores the golden goal? Well, I have to be on a PK, I think, because it's that dead even up till that point. So I agree with Mike. I mean, uh, first of all, don't ever really ask me to do that because that would be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to, to screw it up that badly. But uh, it's a nice thought in theory. Nice thought in theory. But uh, I got <laughs> no. both, both teams. And, uh, you know, who's got the advantage with the goal scorers, right? So, yeah, it would be interesting. Well, I love it. I, you know, just thank you, gentlemen, for all of your time. Yeah, I mean, thanks, you guys. guys, you guys have been so uh, integral. Um, thousands, thousands of kids that have gone on to play college beyond, and, and just their whole life experience in in those high school environments. Uh, as as a parent, thank you. Thank you. You know, my kid doesn't hasn't played under you, but I appreciate everything that you guys are doing. So, thank you very much for your time, Jared. As always. You, you are a flipping hammer. Yeah. 
Thanks, Terry. Take thanks, care. Thanks, Zach. Zach, yeah, thank um, thanks, Zach. Thanks, guys. And we are on our way out of here. <laughs>